<laughs> All right, good morning. It's uh, good to be here teaching you the Word of God. I want to get right into it. Um, I want to ask, how many of you enjoy riddles? Okay, would you raise your hand? Okay, very good, very good. I'm not talking about jokes, okay? Jokes everybody likes. I'm talking about riddles, all right? I am not a riddle guy because I don't get riddles. I'm not good at it. Whatever you need to have to be good, maybe it's intelligence or something, I don't have that. And so I'm not good with riddles, but I do enjoy hearing riddles and then, oh, after the fact, oh, that's what that was, okay? So I'm going to put a riddle up to you today, and I want you to try to figure this out. Can we put that up? All right, here's the riddle. What does everyone want but very few attain? What is it that can't be found if looked for? And what should never be our goal but will always come as a reward? Ooh, that's a good riddle, isn't it? Okay. What does everyone want but few attain? What is it that can't be found when you look for it? And what should never be our goal but will always come as a reward? All right, I know how hard it is. Many of us, you're like me, you're not good with riddles. So I just want you to try. And in order to kind of prime the pump a little bit, I have a gift card, okay, to Phil's for one Phil's coffee. It's ambrosia. It's beautiful, okay? And I will give that to you if you can figure out the specific word, okay, that I'm looking for. All right, so who wants to try it? Who wants to try it? Okay, yes. Glory. Glory? No, it's not glory. Okay. How about you? Joy. No, it's not joy. How about you? Money. No, it's not money. Yes. No, it's not time. Yes. Happiness. That's right. Now, joy, we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit, but, but it does go with that. But I was looking for the specific word, happiness. Very good. And since you're so happy, I'll, I'll give this to you. Why don't you come on up? Let's give her a big hand. We want to acknowledge her and her intelligence. Thank you for your wisdom, China. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. It's happiness. And isn't that true? Right? Happiness is what everyone strives for. It is the world's obsession. Rich men and women try to buy happiness through their power or their possessions or their prestige. I came across this illustration. I thought it was really good. In 1923, the wealthiest men of their time gathered at the Edgewater Hotel in Chicago. I'm sure it was for a very important thing, but the wealthiest men of their time. These were all the richest men in America. And together they controlled more, than, uh, more wealth than there was in the U.S. Treasury, if you can imagine this. Let me share with you. Arthur Cutton was there, the world's greatest speculator. Albert Fall, the Secretary of the Interior. Leon Frazier, the President of the Bank of International Settlements. Ivar Kruger, the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear in Wall Street at that time. Charles Schwann, the president of the largest independent steel company. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange. We don't know any of these people, but they gathered in 1923 for a very important summit. And you, you would think, right, these men could buy anything. They could buy happiness many times over. They could live truly happily ever after, a fairy tale life. But you know what's interesting? At the end of their life, Arthur Cutton died bankrupt, insolvent, and indicted by the government. Albert Fall died penniless, pardoned from prison so he could die at home. 
Leon Frazier committed suicide. Ivar Kruger committed suicide. Jesse Livermore committed suicide. Charles Schwann died bankrupt and destitute. Richard Whit Whitney died in the, famous, in, fa in the famous Sing Sing prison. All these men who should have been happy because of their wealth were not able to attain true happiness. You know, that's true, isn't it? Happiness can't be found when you look for it. There's a whole book in the Bible that's dedicated to highlighting this profound truth, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read it, right? Where Solomon looked everywhere for happiness. He used every resource to find it. And in the end, you know what he said? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. Happiness can't be found when you look for it. And here's the third truth. I think this is good. Happiness shouldn't be our ultimate goal. You know, happiness is a byproduct of when we pursue the right goal. It's a result of when we're pursuing the right thing. It's a reward for those who are pursuing the right, uh, the right way. Winston Churchill said it this way. Down the road of duty, you can't but help but stumble over happiness. You see, it's not something you search for. It's as you're going down a road. And Winston Churchill used the word duty. As you're going down that road, you can't, but, you can't help but stumble over happiness. And that's a beautiful way of saying it. Happiness is the result of something else. It's a byproduct of something else. It's a reward that is given as you're pursuing another goal. You see, happiness is not what you are looking for. Rather, happiness comes to you when you're pursuing something else, when you're looking for something else. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that God's desire is for you to be happy. In the book of Philippians, and we're going to go through it for about a month, okay? We're going to see that God wants you to be happier than happy. God wants you to have joy. And one of the young ladies said joy, right? Joy is the theme of Philippians. Now, what is joy? Well, very simply, it is happiness 2.0, right? It's a deeper, stronger, greater, bigger, better reality of happiness. Joy is a supreme, soul-satisfying happiness that's divinely given by God. And it's based upon the indwelling character of God. So, Joy is really divine happiness. And who doesn't want that? You're thinking to yourself, a soul-satisfying happiness? Something that, boy, would be the ultimate in my life? You know, how can I get it? Where do I find it? How do I search for it? Well, remember, joy can't be found when you look for it. That's the wrong quest, isn't it? Joy is a byproduct of something else. It's the result of something else. It's a reward that comes from looking for something else. And so let me say this. Joy comes when we're searching for the right goal. It comes when we travel down the right road. It comes when we're dedicated to the right quest. So that begs the question then, what should we be looking for? What should we be pursuing? You know, the other day, uh, my wife and I attempted to have a date night, okay? <laughs> And uh, it, we've been married uh, almost 25 years. And uh, earlier in our married lives, uh, it was very consistent. We had our date nights. But because of 
uh, her getting her doctorate and, of course, our daughter and just all these difficulties. It's hard for us to have a date night. But I attempted, okay, to have a date night. And so I went to Walmart and picked up for three bucks, okay, a obscure movie. Uh, could you put it up? It's called Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. Have you seen this movie? I got it for about three bucks, okay? How many of you have seen this movie? Would you raise your hand? All right, all the women, all right? Very few women, but all women. I don't think any men have seen it, right? Well, I chose this because I really like, you know, Topher Grace, Josh Demel, Kate Bosworth. And so I thought, oh, this would be a really great movie. I've never seen it before. And I know what you're thinking. It's a chick flick, right? But I'm, here, I'm, I'm going to see it with my wife. It's a romantic comedy. It's a teen movie. But I really wanted to, you know, have a good time watching it with my wife. And you know what? It ended up where we couldn't watch it together. You know, she was just way too busy. So I watched it by myself. I ended up <laughs> kind of just sitting there. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm going to watch it by myself. And you know what? I love this movie. I actually really did. It's absolutely a delight. A thumbs up, you know, if you're going to watch it. Don't care about Rotten Tomatoes, okay? I'm telling you, it's a really good movie. Go and see it. But you know what it's about? It's about a guy named Pete who's the manager of a local Piggly Wiggly in West Virginia. And he's secretly in love with Rosie, plays, played by Kate Bosworth, who's the heroine of the movie. And the title really gives this movie away. Rosie wins a promotional date with Josh Duhamel, with Tad Hamilton, this gorgeous, handsome, successful movie star. And, you know, as they're going on this date, I'm not going to share too much with you because I want you to watch this, okay? He <laughs> falls in love with her. Of course he does, right? And Tad Hamilton says, Rosie, come back to Hollywood with me. I'll treat you like a queen, right? We'll live happily ever after. Anything, everything, you know, a young woman would want, you know, and here she goes with him. And here's the scene in the movie that stuck in my mind. Pete, played by Topher Grace, right? Although he loves her, he knows that he can't compete with Tad Hamilton, right? So here he's sitting at the bar. He's getting drunk. And he's saying, oh, he's won. He's won, right? Then the bartender comes up to him and asks, what's wrong? What's the matter? And Pete confesses, I'm in love with Rosie, right? And the bartender asks this. The bartender asks, is it love? Is it big love? Or is it great love? Okay? Is it love? Is it big love? Or is it great love? And so the guy, so, so Pete says, what's the difference? And here's what she says. Love, you get over in two months. Big love, you get over in two years. But great love, well, that changes your life, right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Wilson, he's so, he's, he's like a positive heckler. I love that. Okay. <laughs> if it's great love, if it is great love and he confesses that it is, then you have to get off your butt and you have to get her back. You have to go to her, right? And he says, if you have great love and you don't do everything in your power to reach for it, then you're basically slapping life in the face. And here I'm watching this alone and I'm like, amen. That is so true, all right? That's theologically correct. That bartender is a theologian because if you have great love, and you don't do everything in your power to pursue it, then basically you're slapping life in the face. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in the book of Philippians. Great love is found in the person of Jesus, and great love will completely and utterly change our lives. And so that great love then demands great devotion. Jesus becomes our life quest. He becomes that right road. He becomes the goal that we reach for, that we strive for. 
Paul gives us the key to Philippians, and it's found in chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. The apostle Paul shows us that Jesus Christ must be pursued with single-mindedness. There's no other pursuit, no other goal, no other passion, no other quest. For to me, to live is Christ. And so let me bring us back to what I was saying uh, earlier. Focusing entirely on Jesus then produces joy. Joy is the byproduct of living for Jesus. It's the result of following Jesus. It comes when we're pursuing Jesus with a single-minded devotion. Now, let's look at the truth about joy as we look at the book of Philippians. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Joy is a choice that we choose. Joy is a choice that we choose. Philippians 4.4, <coughs> Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. You see, this verse is a command to be obeyed. This is in the imperative. Now, you might be thinking, that's kind of weird. How can you command someone to be happy? You can't just order someone to have joy, can you? Well, the reason why we struggle with this is because we have the wrong idea of joy. We have the idea that we think joy is passive to us, that joy is something that happens to us, that we're these helpless victims waiting for things to happen. And if good things happen, then we're happy, we're joyful. But if bad things happen, then we're sad, we're depressed. So then the world's idea of joy is conditional. Think about that. Isn't that true? If you were to ask somebody what makes you happy, it will probably have conditions to it, right? It'll say, well, it depends on money. Can, can we go to the next slide? Depends on money. We say, how much money do I have to purchase, to consume? And that makes me happy. Or it depends on health. If I don't have physical health, I can't be happy because I can't perform the things that I love doing. Or it depends on time. I could have money and health, but if I have no time, I can't be happy. I'm too busy. Or it depends on circumstances. If I'm in a bad situation, I can't live the way that makes me joyful. Or it depends on emotion. If that other person, right, is in a mood or a disposition that's contrary to mine, then, of course, my happiness is affected. Or it depends on novelty, on the new to excite us. When I was a boy uh, at, at Christmas, I begged my parents for an Atari 2600 video game console. It was when I was a kid. And you know what I told her? Because I wanted to play Space Invaders and Asteroids. I said, this will make me happy. And I will never ask you for anything else for the rest of my life. <laughs> I said that. And you know what? For Christmas, they bought me an Atari 2600. And I bought all the games for it, and I played it. You know, but an amazing thing happened. <laughs> I went to my parents later on, and I said, can you buy me a Nintendo Entertainment System, right? Because I wanted to play Super Mario. I wanted to play Donkey Kong. And I said, please give me this, and I will never ask you for anything again because this will make me supremely happy, right? And an amazing thing happened. I wanted a Sega Genesis gaming system, right? And so I learned as soon as I had thought, uh, as soon as I thought something would surely bring happiness, the novelty wore off. The excitement went away, and I needed some, something else to make me happy. Some of you gamers know what I'm talking about, right? Your Xboxes, your whatever else is out there, right? Because, listen, happiness in this life, in this world, is conditional. But if you have that idea of happiness, Paul's command to rejoice will really make no sense to you. 
Because the biblical idea of joy is not passive. It's not conditional. It's rather something that you choose to do. Remember, joy is divine happiness. It's divinely given by God. It's based on his indwelling character. And he gives it to every Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is a part of us, and it's inside of us. And it's activated when we live our lives, not for ourselves, right, but for Jesus. The Bible commands us, rejoice in the Lord always, in every situation. doesn't matter the trial or the problem or the difficulty or the heartache. We can always rejoice because joy is a supreme, soul-satisfying happiness that is given by God and unaffected by outward circumstances, by outer situations. Joy is a choice that you make as you're passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. Now, that's good. you got to write that down. Joy is a choice that you make as you are passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. The second point I want us to look at is joy is a perspective that we practice, okay? Joy is a perspective that we practice. You might say, well, you bring up some heavy theological stuff about joy and about pursuing Jesus. You're saying our goal is not, uh, is not joy. Our goal is Jesus. Jesus produces joy. Uh, it's commanded. I need to do it. But I, I have no idea. It's all like swirling around in my head. How does it work? You know, how does that play out in the real world? How do I practice everything that you're sharing in my life? Can you give me some examples? And yes, I can, okay? We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at it. In Philippians chapter 1, and you can even look up here in verse 1, here Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus at Philippi, to all God's holy people together with the overseers and deacons, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with, and here's the word, joy. First of all, I want you to notice, can you put up the next slide? Paul's past experience at Philippi. When you read this intro, you get the idea that Paul's ministry in Philippi was highly su successful, that it was totally amazing. It was actually a very beautiful experience. But was the Philippian experience joyful? When we read Acts chapter 16, 6 through 37, we're not going to hear. If you have time, I suggest you read it. You'll see what he really experienced in Philippi. Paul was arrested. He was mistreated. He was beaten and imprisoned. He was persecuted. And you know what? Paul saw little success in Philippi. Now think about this. These memories and joyfulness don't go together. The hardships and happiness shouldn't add up. Paul's appropriate response should be nausea, right? I remember uh, I, I ate at an uh, Indian restaurant here in Bray. I'm not going to share with you the name, but I got super sick, okay? I got food poisoning. It's closed down, so I, you know, I can talk about it, and it would be okay. But, but I got super sick, and I remember throwing up all night. And I remember thinking, I'll never go there again. But then a month later, I gave it a second chance, and I got worse. I got really <laughs> sick, and I almost had to go to the hospital. I remember just puking up all that, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, it was just so gross. So every time I passed by, right, that Indian restaurant, I'd start to feel not. I could taste 
the throw up coming up, right? And I, I, I just said, I can never eat there. Every, well, now it's closed, so thank God, but I would never eat there again, right? That's exactly how Paul should have felt from all the negative experience that he felt at Philippi. But Paul's response, look at it, is joy. Why? Because Paul has one overriding perspective. He sees everything through, the len- through one lens, and it filters everything he sees. And you know what that lens is? It's Jesus. Paul doesn't focus on the lukewarm reception and the apathy to him and his ministry. Paul rejoiced that Lydia came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't gripe and grumble about being beaten and mistreated. He rejoiced that Jesus was glorified through his suffering. He didn't get depressed when he was thrown into prison. The Bible says that he sang, that Paul rejoiced because the jailer and his family was introduced to Jesus. He didn't focus on all the hardships of the missionary journey. He rejoiced that Jesus' church was moving forward and established in Philippi. What does that tell us? That Paul had a one-track mind, and it was Jesus alone. You see, for Paul, joy wasn't conditioned upon past experiences. It was rooted in Jesus alone. So that's why he was able to pray with joy, right? Past experiences. I want you to notice another one. Notice Paul's present predicament as he's writing in Rome. Can you put up that? Let's look in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now here, look at it. Paul writes this letter. It's a letter of joy while he's imprisoned under house arrest. He's shackled between two Roman soldiers. Wow, Paul. How can you rejoice in that kind of situation? Well, again, Paul has one overriding perspective. He sees everything through the lens of Jesus. So Paul doesn't focus on his house arrest, but he sees what God is doing through his imprisonment. The good news about Jesus is spreading throughout the Praetorian Guard. And it started with these two guys that are chained next to him, right? He's not thinking, I'm a prisoner. He's thinking, they're prisoners to me. They're a captive audience, and I'm going to share Jesus Christ with them. And from there, it goes on to the Praetorian Guard, and from the Praetorian Guard to the palace, and to the palace all of Rome. You see Paul's perspective here? That's what gives him joy. But wait, there's more drama, okay? Let's look in verse 15. It says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that uh, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in these chains. You know what Paul is saying? That there are those Christian leaders who are glad he's imprisoned, and they're jealous of Paul, and they're kicking him while he's down. They slander Paul and try to discredit him while he's in prison. They're tearing him down to build themselves up. Imagine how hurtful it was for Paul to realize that there were people who were so-called brothers in Christ who really were rooting for his failure, rooting for his death. But you know what? Paul isn't focused on people or motives. He sees what's really important. Let's look. It says, but what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For Paul, joy isn't conditioned on others' actions. Joy is rooted in Jesus alone. Can I get an amen? You see, he chooses to activate that joy inside of him. The fruit of the Spirit given to him by the Holy Spirit that's available to him as he lives for Jesus Christ. You see, that's the perspective that needs to be practiced. I want you to notice not only past experience and uh, present predicaments, but I want you to notice his future sentence. Let's look in verse 20. I eagerly expect, expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I want you to be aware that not only is he imprisoned, but the future is uncertain for him. This imprisonment can easily turn into a death sentence. That the authorities that be can decide that Paul should be punished by taking his life. And so capital punishment looms over the Apostle Paul as he's in house arrest. But I want you to look at his response, okay? Could it be joy? Let's look at it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, again, Paul has one overriding perspective. He sees everything through the lens of Jesus. What is Paul saying? For Paul, life or death is a win-win, right? If he's executed, he's with Jesus. That's the win. If he's released, he continues the gospel ministry of Jesus. That's a win. And this produces true joy. You see, joy is not conditioned about the uncertainties of the future. It really isn't. Joy is rooted, rather, in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? When our goal is Jesus, the result is joy. The reward is joy. Bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. In the quietness of your own hearts, I want to say this. Jesus is sovereign over everything. Maybe there are people here that you struggle with past tragedies. You struggle with scars that really as you mull them over and over again, they haven't been able to heal. Maybe there's bitterness and resentment. Maybe you live with present difficulties. Maybe you just lost your job. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with an illness that just seems so overwhelming. Or maybe you're going through a time that you can so easily fall to discouragement. Or maybe there are future insecurities on the horizon for you. There's a dark cloud that hangs over you because you don't know what the future holds. And you live in fear, maybe. You live in discouragement. Can I share with you that we can live with joy. We can live with it just like what Paul says here. We can live with it when we see that Jesus is that great love that we pursue. 
Father, I ask that you would be with the hearts of each and every person here, wherever they are. That, Lord, as we dive into the book of Philippians, that we would learn how to have joy, that divine happiness. And we ask that it would flood and invade our very hearts and our very lives. As we await Christmas Day, when we celebrate your first coming. We thank you for all that you're doing. We pray that you would speak to us afresh and anew. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.